Hey, y'all. Welcome back. It's Lynn Howard, and this is Road to an Abundant Author Life. This week, I'm pretty excited. We've got Thomas Umstadt Jr. from Novel Marketing Podcast. Um, he was a super, super fun interview. Um, so much insight. I'll give you the about from his website, and then we'll just jump straight into the interview. Thomas Umstadt Jr. built his first website at the age of 13 and taught his first web design class at only 16 years old. Thomas went to the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, where he graduated cum laude with a degree in business management. He founded Umstadt Media, his first web design and media company in 2007 while still in college. In 2009, he started AuthorTechTips.com, a website to help authors use the web to promote their books. The site was twice featured in Writer's Digest as one of the 101 most helpful websites for authors. AuthorTechTips.com changed its name to AuthorMedia.com in 2011. Umstadt Media was incorporated as a Castle Media Group, LLC, in 2012. In 2014, Thomas's blog post, Why Courtship is Fundamentally Flawed, went viral and reached over a million people in just a few weeks. It led to a successful Kickstarter campaign, and in 2015, the book Courtship in Crisis. In 2014, Thomas took on the role of marketing director for Enclave Publishing, where he doubled sales over the following 18 months. In 2016, Thomas was hired by Fahrenheit Marketing as marketing director. As a podcaster, he hosts a novel marketing podcast and the Christian Publishing Show. He also hosted the Creative Funding Show and Liberty Buzzard Podcast, which have, have concluded. He is also a popular podcast guest, <laughs> like here. Thomas still serves as the CEO of Castle Media Group, LLC, the parent company of Author Media. He lives in Austin, Texas with his beautiful wife and children. As an award-winning speaker, Thomas teaches audiences all over the world. His friendly speaking style blends multi multimedia and audience participation. He offers audiences a unique perspective to help them use the web in a whole new way. And I agree with that last part. As you'll hear, it was a super casual, friendly, just kind-hearted interview. I love having people like Thomas on here because, frankly, I love people that have a lot of passion. So let's get into it. So I have Thomas Umstadt Jr. with me from the Novel Marketing Show. Hello, Mr. Thomas. Hey, Lynn. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on. I've been a huge fan of your show for a very long time. Kind of fangirling over here, if you will. <laughs> now, before we start with anything, what made you want to start your podcast originally? So back in 2013, when we started Novel Marketing, I was running a, a web design business. So I'd been building websites for authors for about five years at that point. And uh, a part of building a website was educating authors on marketing and, you know, teaching them kind of the fundamentals. And there's a lot of pieces just because somebody's building your website, you know, you still need to have an email list and can, you know, be blogging and there's a, it, there's a lot to learn. And so we started the podcast, one to educate authors and be a resource for our clients, but also as a way to bring more clients into uh, author media and inform them about what we do. And I should say real quick, we don't build websites for authors anymore. I retired uh, from that, that business. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> my, my way of exiting, I, I created a free course is, it, to teach you how to build your own websites. It's not as hard as it used to be. And you, most authors don't need to hire a web firm. And so now I graciously tell people that I won't build their website, but they can take my free course and learn how to build the website themselves. Well, if you ever get any free time, let me know because I... I actually handed over to my assistant because I just, I, I spent so many hours watching the tutorials and not enough time writing for like three <laughs> days. 
I just, that's, I could do graphics on Photoshop. I could do the podcasting. I could do the videos. I I felt like a dunce trying to do <laughs> the website. So on December 14th, you reposted, I guess, uh, a podcast that was originally, it was Trolls, Haters, and Critics, Oh My. And that's when you still had a co-host, correct? That's right. So can you tell us the reason behind reposting re, uh, that? Or actually, so, let's start with, can you tell us the re- reason behind the original recording? So it was actually two episodes originally that we did um, at, at two different times. So on December, I, I tried to kind of take a break from the podcast. So I tend to re-air kind of best of episodes. So I stitched together these two shorter, older episodes into a single episode. And it's interesting because the first episode was about dealing with haters and I recorded it like three weeks before I had my biggest experience with being in a firestorm, a media firestorm, social media firestorm of hate and praise and attention. (laughs) So it's like recording that episode was really well placed for priming me to be able to handle thousands or hundreds of thousands of people talking about me online. Because if you're not used to that level of attention, it can be really stressful. Uh, yeah. And, and, and psychologically traumatizing. You know, there's a, a proverb that says a uh, wealth gained quickly is counted as a curse. And, and you see this, right? People win the lottery and their lives are not made better. They're made worse right. than winning yeah. the lottery. My husband and I just had that conversation. That's so funny. Yeah. And the same is true with getting famous quickly, right? The people who tend to handle fame the best are the people who had to kind of fight for it over time or were born into it where they were always famous. And so they just learned from their parents how to handle it. Going from being a private person to being a public person overnight is very psychologically challenging. So if you're frustrated that you're not famous yet, that may be the best thing that's ever happened to you. So yeah, that I I thought it was so great because author meant being anonymous. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it does not. I'm sure you've saw the recent drama of an author who's Supposedly her family, I'm not going to say names because I'm sure it's gone around, but uh, her family faked her suicide and then she just recently came back out. Now, like, you know, I I wasn't really dead and now she's facing all this backlash and who you do not get to stay anonymous even as an author. Yeah, that's um, that's the sort of thing you see painters do because the, the paintings become more valuable if they're dead, so they'll fake their death. But yeah, you have to um, realize this comes with the job, right? Every job has pluses and minuses. And the nice thing about being an author, you get to work from home and and you get, you know, sit at your computer and you're not outside in the sun, right? There's a lot of perks to, to being an author and you get to exercise your creativity and it's very um, intellectually rewarding in that way. But one of the downsides of being an author is that you are a public figure and the more successful you are as an author, the more criticism you get. And even if you have a pen name, people criticizing your pen name still feels like they're criticizing you, right? That doesn't give any emotional separation. Right. Because <laughs> it's still an attack on you in, in a right. way. Yeah. An attack on your writing and, and you love your book, right? Your book is your baby. And so it's hard to have people insult your baby or, or not like your baby. And, and so you have to realize that, that comes with the territory and it's, you know, one of the downsides, but it's an overcomable downside. Right? Your haters don't get to define you and they don't get to have any power over you that you don't give them, which is a really important uh, realization. They can't hurt you unless you let them hurt you. 
Something I, I, cause I've always preached about having, you know, rhino plated skin, diamond plated rhino skin <laughs> is they're not here in your house paying your rent. You know, they can say what they want. They can talk about how you want. They can bash your book, but they're not the ones controlling your life and your emotions. You are. I've always tried to preach that, but that's why I wanted you on here is because of that podcast. Like this was so timely. Um, now why, and, and if you don't feel comfortable giving the exact, that's fine. But why did you repost that on December 14th? Um, so for a couple of reasons. One, I was looking for a good episode to repost and I realized I hadn't hit that topic. But I'd also received uh, somewhat recently some negative reviews on for my podcast. So reviews for podcasts, they're not as important as reviews for books. Most people don't pick a podcast to listen to because they saw some reviews. Like, you know, hopefully, you know, you've reviewed the podcast you're listening to right now, but you probably didn't choose to listen to Lynn's podcast based off of the reviews you read. Maybe right. you saw the number, but it's not like, am I going to subscribe to this podcast? Let me, you know, read through all these reviews and decide because right. you're not spending <laughs> money for it. But it's still getting a nice review feels good and getting a, a nasty review feels bad. And, and I've always looked at our reviews really carefully because I found them helpful. Often the feedback in the reviews has helped us make improvements. A lot of the microphone changes we've made over right. the years have been inspired by, you know, three star reviews or four star reviews that knocked off a star for one thing or another. And so that's, that's helpful feedback. And I will say over the last 10 years, I've learned a lot about podcast microphones. <laughs> and, and, and good audio production and and how to make a good episode. I'm still learning. Uh, but what I got in December were reviews that weren't helpful, negative reviews. They were just mean and nasty. They didn't like the fact that I wasn't hiding the fact that I was a Christian. Right? The, 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 these reviewers had the worldview that if you're a Christian, that's something you should hide and you should never you know, let anyone know about it. And I'm out of the closet as a Christian, so to speak, and I wasn't hiding it and they weren't happy about it. So they left a really mean review about that. And then when other, you know, and then that led to other people piling on. Yeah, and I saw that. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so that gave it kind of a, it's like, oh yeah, this is a good opportunity to go and revisit because after the big firestorm, so I wrote this blog post and, you know, million views in a month and a lot of people were very angry about it. A lot of people really liked it, but that was back in 2014. And since then I haven't had a lot of, you know, attacks on me personally, uh, it's been kind of a nice break, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to let you fast. Sorry, I didn't. I thought there was more. I'm like sitting here holding my drink, getting ready to take a sip. I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm actually a co-host on another show called Let's Get Mystical. And we talk about supernatural shows and movies and books and things like that. My co-host is not a Christian and I am. And I've never been shy about mentioning that. And so far, so good, I guess. Like, you know, because I put in, well, you know, as a Christian on this part of this show, this isn't accurate. However, you know, but so far, so good. We haven't been attacked on that. We'll see. It's still, I don't want to say it's still new. It's still new-ish. It's only been going on for about a year or so. And we had, you know, a pretty good break there during the summer. Um, now, what do you think authors should do about trolls and haters? Because there is a definite difference between trolls and haters and critics. That's right. And this is where some good judgment comes in and also valid feedback. One of the things I realized is that uh, reviews are actually really helpful if you read them. So, so one strategy is not to read reviews, which is a totally legitimate strategy. But another strategy is to read the reviews and realize what the reviews are. I did a statistical analysis on the reviews for my book. 
And the most common word in those reviews, that wasn't an article like the or and, was the <laughs> word I. And what people are describing when they're reviewing your book is not you. It's not about you. What they're describing is themselves mm -hmm. and how they're feeling. And if they're angry and mean, it's most likely because they're a miserable person. And, mm -hmm. and they're telling you that. It's almost like a, a shout of, uh, for help. But more often, it's actually really good market research. Because a lot of authors, it's like, who am I writing to? Who's reading my books? It's like, well, they tell you in the reviews. They are describing themselves <laughs> in the review far more than they're describing your book. <laughs> it's like they may mention your book once, but they'll mention themselves half a dozen times in the review. And right. that can be really informative. And so looking at it through that grid can make it a little less personal when you realize that they don't really care about you. They're just hurt and angry and they're talking about themselves. And that can help a little bit. Something that I've noticed too, when people say, well, this isn't my kind of book, then why did you read it? Or I haven't read this book, but this author, blah, blah, okay, well, you, why are you reviewing the book if you don't like the author? Go to, email me. You want to tell me something, email me. It's, I mean, it's not going to keep me up at night. So when it comes to trolls and haters, what should authors do? So... Uh, you deal with them differently. Let's talk about trolls first. Trolls are people who are attacking you often for political purposes. And by this, I don't necessarily mean like Washington politics. It could be corporate politics or or even just a fellow author who's jealous and wants to push you off the ledge. Yeah. And the and their primary motivation is to get attention. Trolls are people who are not getting attention. They're being ignored. And they're desperate for attention. And so they're kind of like stray cats, right? If a stray cat comes to your house and if you let it mew for a week and don't feed it, it'll go somewhere else because it's looking for food. And, and that's hard to do, right? Because you've got this mewing cat in your backyard. And you're like, I've got to feed it. I've got to feed it. Just don't feed it. Trolls are the same way. If you don't feed them, they will go away. They will get bored. And the, the number one food for trolls is apologies. That's when they feel so powerful, so important, so significant. They can get you to apologize. So you need to understand what the purpose of an apology is. An apology is a tool for um, restoring a relationship. <clears throat> you have a friend, you have a disagreement, you, and you apologize, often mutual Lee, right? You have a fight and you both apologize to each other at the end. Right? Anybody who's been married for a long time realizes <laughs> that when you apologize, often the other one also has to apologize. Maybe one person was more wrong than the other and their <laughs> apology is bigger, but there's apologies going both ways. In the, in the purpose of the apology is, hey, we are married, we're stuck together, we want to continue having a happy marriage, and so we want to restore the relationship. If there's no relationship to restore, there's really no place for an apology. Because it all it's going to do is feed your enemies with ammunition to use against you. And the people who often don't have to worry nearly as much about haters, or sorry, about trolls, are the folks who just ignore them. Don't <laughs> and feed the trolls. Don't feed them. You don't give them any attention. You don't respond to them. You don't comment to them. You act as if they don't exist. And that is the most irritating thing for a troll because it reminds them just how insignificant and unimportant they are. And as soon as you respond to them, even one time, you've now have a cat that's moved in and will bother you for months. <laughs> I would um, love to see some kind of a psychological study on these trolls. Like there's got, what, 
what are you getting out of it? You know, like, how are you feeling better about yourself when you're just chronically angry and trying to spew that on somebody else? I don't think it works. I don't think it's actually a psychologically healthy way to feel better, but it it feels like it should help (laughs) and it gives you something to do. And in the, in the short term, it does make you feel powerful. And if it's connected with a cause, right? If you're like, man, if I can, I can just get everyone who disagrees with me to apologize or get them all fired, then the world would be a a better place. You know, that kind of genocidal thinking is ancient, right? If I can just kill all of my enemies, then they will go away. It's like, no, well, you'll still somehow find enemies. <laughs> you know, my best friend and I could not be more polar opposites. And it's amazing that we get along and we're like sisters because we understand that we don't agree and that's okay. I've tried to explain that to people. It's okay if you don't agree with everything that somebody else says. And, and instead of, like you said, going and attacking somebody because I don't agree with you, but I think you need to change your mind. And if you don't, then they keep attacking you and then you feed into it and they don't go away. (laughs) They get more vicious. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. It's an old saying, but it's still true. (laughs) I like that. I like that one. You can't bully someone into agreeing with you deep down in their heart. And trolls don't realize that. They really think they can bully someone into being a better person. My grandma always said, once you argue with a fool, that there's now two fools in the room. (laughs) I was like, that's a good idea. That's a good, I just, yep, you're right. I walk away. (laughs) Okay. Yep. You're right. So what is the difference with haters and how should authors, because a a lot of people that are listening to our podcast are baby authors, new authors, not all of course, because I'm far from a baby author and I'm addicted to your podcast and so many others, but how can, especially the newbies handle haters? So haters often hate you because of what you are. So arguably, these reviews that I got because I was a Christian, those were by a hater, right? They don't really care about me. They don't really care about the podcast. Uh, They just hated Christians. And they hated people who are, you know, public and comfortable with their Christianity and not apologetic about it. And it's often kind of a class-based motivation. And by class, I mean like any kind of classification. And there's you know, thousands of classifications why somebody chooses to hate somebody else, right? And it's really unfortunate because we used to have this kind of the view of treating people as individuals and not treating somebody as a representative of a group, right? You you treat somebody as an individual because they're unique and special. And the fact that they're, you know, certain race or religion or creed or sexual whatever doesn't matter because they're an individual and you treat them that way. But right now there's this big push it's like, no, you don't treat somebody like an individual. You treat them like a member of that class. And if that's a class that you're allowed to hate or, or that you want to hate, then hate them all you want, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, and with haters, you also just have to ignore them. So with haters and trolls, you um, respond to them in the same way. But the thing about haters is that they don't go away like trolls or they're less likely to go away because uh, that hate is effer- effervescent. <laughs> they're just going <laughs> to continue hating you. And you have to be okay with that uh, or, or, or just ignore it because you can't stop it. You can, you can love them and, and be kind to them and sometimes that will work. Um, but the problem is haters and trolls often hang out together and loving a troll and being a kind to a troll is acknowledging their existence and that just right. encourages them. And so um, if, if the, I think the time to love a, a hater 
is when you're interacting with him in real life. Because a lot of this is a creature of the internet where people hide behind anonymity and the there it's kind of the cyberbullying you know done by adults against adults you know we use different terms but it's still the same thing and the thing about bullies is that they're cowards and so if you confront them in real life they often back way off real fast um, but it's it's difficult to do that and it's not necessarily appropriate to do that as an author the, the queen of england uh, queen elizabeth had a rule she said never explain and never complain <laughs> and uh she and, and it served her really well, right? She was one of the most respected people in, in the world. And you never heard her complain, even when she had a really bad, terrible, no good year. Uh, she didn't complain about it. And she also didn't explain herself. She, she's like, I'm the queen. You're not. And I have no need to explain myself to you. <laughs> <laughs> I sure wouldn't if I was the queen. <laughs> That's, I try to use the analogy a lot of times when I talk about, you know, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like you. They're, I'll say the title of the book, Fifty Shades of Grey. One of the most popular erotica books out there. I didn't like it. I, I I didn't even get through the first book. I didn't like it. But you know what? I don't think she's over there crying because Lynn Howard doesn't like her books. It's okay. Not everybody's going to like everything you write and you're not going to like everything somebody else is going to write. And if they hate you, they hate you. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not, it's not going to pay your bills. <laughs> well, it, it can actually. J.K. Rowling, every time her sales start to slump, she uh, tweets something that puts everyone into a tizzy and her, and everyone starts talking about her and trying to cancel her and her sales go back up and her books go back into the top 10. <laughs> so well, she's, shoot, she's learned how to monetize. <laughs> yeah, she's learned how to monetize outrage uh, in a very effective way. And it's really fascinating because Harry, Harry Potter books often stay in the top 10 for their categories. And sometimes overall, they sell really well continually, even 20 years later. But occasionally sales will slump and J.K. Rowling puts herself back in the news somehow and the sales, boom, right back up because people really like the books <laughs> and they're you know, happy I've to not buy them, them over and over again. I have not read. I watched the movies. I started out with my nephews. I have uh, nine and 11 year old nephews. And when they come stay with me, we that's our thing. We get junk food and we watch Harry Potter. And then they went home and I was like, but what happens? <laughs> so I kept watching them because they were so good. And then I have to rerun them again when they came back over. I've never read the books though, because it's, I have a hard time getting into that mind frame of like YA and middle grade and stuff, because first of all, I didn't have a great time of my life at that age, but I just can't relate to it anymore. I'm a middle-aged woman. You know, it's, <laughs> I'm old, <laughs> I'm old and can't get into those, but maybe I need to be more controversial. Is that the problem? Not necessarily. That strategy works for J.K. Rowling. One, because her books are good enough and popular enough where all people need to do is hear her name and then they want to buy the books because they're already familiar with Harry Potter. People know Harry Potter. Most people have either watched the movies or read the books or have a friend who has. that kind. And she has a personality that lends itself to that kind of combative public profile. You have to have a, a personality who enjoys that kind of combat. And most authors don't. No. And if that's not you, I don't <laughs> recommend seeking out the battle. But when the battle does come, 
because you know you don't always get to choose whether you're at war, right? When the Vikings are invading, you're at war, even if you don't want to be at war. <laughs> right? Right. Like, oh, there's some <laughs> longboats. Uh, we should probably have everyone gather into the city and grab our torches and pitchforks and maybe they'll go away, right? So it's like, oh, we're at war now. So when the fight does come, you do have to stand your ground. But there's a big difference between standing your ground and defending your village from the Vikings and invading Norway. And some people, like J.K. Rowling, are invade Norway types, and, and they enjoy that. And it serves her well. But just because it serves her well doesn't mean it will serve you well. This is one of the things that I've um, come to realize working with authors at all levels, from very famous New York Times bestsellers to authors just getting started, is that there's no set of tactics that works for everyone. You have to keep in mind your audience and your personality when you're kind of approaching marketing and approaching writing. And just because you see something working for another author, if you copy that tactic without understanding why it's working for that author, it's not necessarily going to work for you. The FOMO and comparisonitis. Yeah. That's people. I did the same thing. It didn't work for me. Well, it's not going to work for everybody. I'm the I'm the former rather than the latter. I don't like confrontation, but I don't back down from a fight either. That was, I actually, I told you earlier that I wrote under a different pen name previously. And instead of ignoring the trolls, I engaged and big, big mistake. (laughs) I learned from it though. I should have just told them to pound sand, block these people, just move on with my life. But I engaged and it turned into battle royale and it was ugly, but I have since learned. I just, okay, bye. And I just block and it's, it's over. I don't, I don't need to engage anymore. It's, I guess it's getting mature in the career too, like learning who you are more in the career and realizing it's a business because, you know, the CEO of Pepsi isn't going to get into a battle with Coke, you know, because it's not going to serve them. I just threw out big names, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's exciting when you get your first hater because you do have to earn it. And this is an important perspective. Um, If you're obscure enough, nobody cares because nobody's read your books and nobody's heard of you. And so for somebody to take the effort to leave you a one-star review or to complain about you on Twitter, it means you've actually risen to a level of being worthy of attention and worthy of notice. And that first one-star review actually really improves uh, your conversion rate on your page. If you have a two books, one's got 24 five-star ratings and the other's got 24 five-star ratings and a one-star rating, from a really mean, angry hater, that one-star rating actually is validates the 24 five-star ratings. Because it, if you have two, you, you don't want your review profile to look too perfect. Yes. <laughs> because it will look really fake and artificial. Yes. It, right, because <laughs> the classic works, the most popular books of all time have one-star ratings, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to Kill a Mockingbird, it's like, it's the perfect book. It's like, no, it has one-star ratings, right? The Fifty Shades of Grey, best-selling book, or it was back when it's heyday, it was sold like crazy. Lots of one-star ratings, right? Lots yep. of people didn't like that book. And so if your book doesn't have any one-star ratings, it looks a little fake. And so that first one-star rating actually helps you boost sales. In fact, I've had, I've talked with authors who've considered asking a friend to leave them a one-star rating. <laughs> Just for the benefits that it causes. Because the other advantage of your first one-star rating is that you can go to your list, your email list, and be like, hey, I just got this really mean one-star rating. Uh, What do you think? Do you agree? And you you post a link and people will go and they'll look and they'll read it. Like I disagree with that. And then they'll leave their own review, right? Somebody who wouldn't (laughs) have left a review otherwise is now leaving a review to defend you. And you don't have to defend yourself. 
your readers who like you will defend you. And that's much more powerful. And that's, you know, what the Queen of England does, right? She doesn't have to defend herself. <laughs> she has many um, royal supporters, and, and I forget the term for them, but there's, you know, people who are really into the royal family who defend the queen or defend the king now. And that is much more powerful and it keeps her from getting in the mud, so to speak. I know personally, if I look at a book and it's nothing but five star, I wonder if they paid for them. There's got to be four stars, three stars, two stars. You know, if if there's nothing but five star, my first inkling is, did you pay for these? Because, you know, if it's like three of them, okay, I get that. But when it's like a slew of them, my first thought is you paid. I've got a one star on a couple of my books. Actually, some of my bad reviews are on my very first book in the Cedar Hill Shifters. And it's always about the main female. And I feel bad sometimes because I put so much of myself in her, like her her weird sense of humor and stuff. And I'm like, man, they don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> These people don't like my silly sense of humor, you know? Now, this is a personal question and feel free to tell me you don't want to discuss it. Um, has your faith influenced or affected your career as a writer or as a podcaster, blogger, anything? It has. In fact, it's affected... Uh, how I handle critics quite a bit. The kind of secular view is to put on really tough skin and not care what other people think. Um, And I've been cautious about that because if your skin is too tough, it keeps you from caring even what your friends think, right? The, the, The people who do really good in the combat are people who have narcissistic tendencies or sociopathic tendencies where they truly don't care what anyone thinks their friends, their family, their, their foes, they just don't care. And I don't want to be that. <laughs> I don't want to turn into that kind of person. And I was really inspired reading in the Psalms and reading the story of David. Because if you think you've got haters, he had haters worse. Right. right? Like right. his father-in-law is throwing a spear at him, trying to kill him. And his father-in-law was the king, which meant there's no one to appeal to, right? Who do you call the cops on when it's the king trying to kill you, right? David's right. hiding in caves. He's having to pretend like he's crazy. He's putting his parents, like sending them far away so they don't get killed, right? He's in, in a really difficult position, yet he didn't harden his heart. He didn't get a tough skin. And instead, he cried out to God in in very powerful, very poignant um, prayers that we still have. The book of Psalms, especially the first part, has got a lot of those prayers where he's desperate. He's sad. He's like, they are trying to kill me. And it's not empty words. It's not hyperbole. It's like, no, they really were out to kill him. It's like he's hiding in the woods and yet he's crying out to God. Uh, for protection and for healing and trying to keep that soft heart towards God and also examining his heart. Because the thing about critics and haters and trolls to a much lesser degree is that they're not always wrong and they're not always completely wrong. Often there's a little bit of truth in what they're saying. Right. And if you can hear that truth, if you if you have ears to hear that truth, you can actually take that correction and, and improve. Right. Because none of us are perfect. None of us have full knowledge. We, we all make mistakes. And off, sometimes it's the critics who are telling you the truths that you most need to hear. In fact, this is um, a problem that several countries have where the uh, leader of the country has so isolated himself from critics that he can do something really stupid like invade a neighboring country that surely will fall in three weeks, no problem. And all of the people who were there to tell him, hey, invading Ukraine's a bad idea. 
you know, right? Our army is actually not as good as we've been telling you. All those people were fired. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, our, our, our military is no problem. No problem. Yeah, we can invade them three weeks. We'll win. And it's like, no, you need that critical voice sometimes. I know I'm making a lot of ruler analogies here, and, and obviously we're not kings or presidents, but but you are a ruler of yourself, right? You maybe you're, you're a ruler of your family. You're you're running this independent publishing business, and you need to have a way for that critical voice to be heard, even if it's mostly wrong. You don't want to r- rule it out entirely, and so the, having that. And, and David actually demonstrates this, right? He has. He, he, he's not perfect either. He does some really terrible things. And he has a, a man walk into his court and say, in this, at this point, David's king. And he points at David and he's like, you are a murderer and an adulterer and you deserve to die. And David doesn't have that guy executed, <laughs> which is really remarkable. Most kings throughout most of history would have had, you know, Nathan, the prophet who condemned him, uh, executed right there on the spot. But you see Nathan there later in the story and David repents because he was wrong. And so it's important to have that soft heart while still not allowing uh, your enemies to harm you and to damage you. And and for me, at least, the only way to do that is by relying on God to be my protection and by valuing what God thinks of me more than what these other people think of me and, and getting my, my identity and, and my source of strength and confidence from, from God and also from my family and, and from my church community. So when I had, you know, thousands of people attacking me online, writing blog posts about what a terrible person I was, my family were supporting me, right? My church was supporting me and they're encouraging me. They're like, hey, what you're doing is a good thing and, and, and we support you. And that gave me strength, right? It wasn't me by myself. And I think it's really hard to be by yourself. You need a community to gather around you uh, if you want to stand strong. And I think that goes for even people of non-faith. You need a supportive community around you, especially because this is such a solitary, you know, career Especially I, I write full time because I'm disabled. I can't actually drive anywhere to go to work. So this is what I do full time. If it weren't for my little community and my little tribe I built around me, I, I think at that point I probably would have just given up because it's kind of lonely and you need that support. And from going back to before when I got attacked, I actually stopped writing for months. I stopped and I've always been, I, I love to write. It's I feel lost on my day, quote unquote, days off. I love to write and I almost gave up. And my husband's like, no. And then my, my best friend who's a preacher, he's like, no, you got to, you know, do, do what you love and do what's in your heart. So listening to you talk about the story of David, you and my mom need to write a book together <laughs> because she was going to, to Bible study and she'd come into work and she'd start telling the story. And it sounded like she was watching a movie and relaying the movie and everybody's like, and, and then what happened? She's like, I'll let you know next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> She gets so animated. The two of you would like just both of you narrate back and forth and then you go write it like you guys could make it King David's story into like a modern day, you know, big old blockbuster or something. You guys are both animated. I love it. Love it. I've often believed that the King Arthur stories were inspired by the biblical story of King David because you have King David and his mighty men. Very similar to Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. You have Samuel, who's this miracle worker prophet in the Bible, uh, who's very similar to Merlin, even walking around with a staff and robes and beard. And, you know, the the warrior king who's going on adventures and fighting giants. Right? That's Arthur. <laughs> but that's also that's King hilarious. David. And um, 
because we were like, when, when did Arthur live? Right. We're pretty sure he might've lived maybe and like, but we don't exactly see him in the historical record. And I think there was uh, some embellishment by some monks who, you know, like, Hey, you know, this, this King, he wasn't bad, but uh, we can uh, beef him up a little bit in the story. Shush him up. <laughs> yeah. Bring, bringing in some narratives from the Bible. So what, is there anything going on that anybody needs to be aware of any classes or anything you're, you're doing right now? Uh, we do a course once a year called Book Launch Blueprint, and it's a, a four-week course where uh, we teach you how to launch a book, and all the students do each day together. So it has a really high completion rate and a really high success rate in authors learning how to have a successful book launch that gets them into the number one new release in their category. And uh, we're looking at, we're about to open up registration for that. We're looking at either March or April as the um, release date for 2023 for when day one starts. We haven't f- finally settled on a date, so I don't want to announce what we're thinking about because um, people start to schedule around it. And I, I don't want to set their plans. <laughs> um, but that's our, our big um, project for the spring. And I'll be talking about book launches more on novel marketing uh, leading up to that course starting. Now, how can people get information on when, it, when the enrollment opens? Is that if they're on your newsletter yep. subscriber list? Okay. Yep. If you listen to the Novel Marketing Podcast in your podcast app, I'll talk about it there. And then also authormedia.com, which is my website. You sign up for the newsletter there and you'll definitely hear about it. And Miss Sandy Cooper told me you have your own little um, community there as well. I do. Uh, I started my own social network, a place for authors to interact with each other uh, apart from uh, Facebook. So if you've been wanting to connect with other authors but don't want to go on Facebook, authormedia.social is a really vibrant community of really savvy authors who are really generous and are uh, sharing what they've learned. Somebody recently posted a really long in-depth analysis of how he is using AI both to help him write the book and generate the covers for the book and what worked and what didn't work and what tools he used and just really generous posts like that have made uh, authormedia.social a really fun social network. And there's no cost to being a part of authormedia.social. And if you go through that free course I mentioned at the beginning on websites, there's actually a secret section that gets oh. unlocked if you go through the course where you can ask website questions of the other authors who've also taken that course on building websites. So they're answering each other's technical questions and it's, it's, it's fun. I really enjoy that community. We had, yeah, she, cause I don't know how well, you know, Sandy Cooper, she actually did a complete exodus from all social media. Um, she was talking about, you know, she's got like one Facebook group that she follows and their kids school that she follows for events. But my issue with social media groups, like I used to do absolute right. And they became like bullies on there. Same thing with writer's digest. And then I'm on, I love 20 books to 50 K. I love that, you know, going and going through it, but I found myself doing comparisonitis and I'm not generally that person, but I'm like, well, I did that. And it didn't work for, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm doing what I preach against and I've had to like back away. So it'd be great to be in a community with just supportive people where we can share our woes and tips and things like that. Yeah. And one of the nice things, one of the problems with Facebook is that everything is in a single column, which means the bigger the group gets, the stricter the moderators have to be at protecting that column. And it forces you to see everything that's posted in that space. Whereas with authormedia.social, we have different sections. So we have a a section called celebration. So if you have a new book coming out or you just hit a bestseller list, 
that's where you can post it. So instead of having a rule saying don't post it, we are like, here's the place. And if you're struggling with comparisonitis and you don't want to see other authors celebrating their successes, <laughs> you can mute that section and it, you don't get notified when new posts happen and it's not in the emails or whatever. You, you don't have to get emails. You have a lot of control. Whereas we also have a job board, right? Another typical rule. So you can't say, I'm look, I'm an editor, I'm looking for clients, right? That's really strictly forbidden because if you allow that, suddenly there's nothing but that. Well, we have a space for it where it's like, hey, I'm looking for an editor. Or, I'm an editor, I'm looking for clients or a cover designer or an illustrator or whatever, web, webmaster. Well, we have a job board. And some people, they have that cranked way up where as soon as a post happens, they get an email because they want to be the first editor to say, right. hey, I'd love to get that. <laughs> and other people mute it all together and some people set it somewhere in the middle. So you have a lot of control uh, you control what you see rather than the moderators controlling what you see or, or the algorithm controlling what you see. And it's I using basically the kind of technology we had 20 years ago before Facebook. It, oh. It's using a more modern version of it, but it's old forum style, you know, where you have different forums and different uh, topics. And you, if you want to be a part of the craft forum and talk about, you know, how to write a better book, you can spend time there, or the marketing forum, and, and you can choose and, and customize for yourself what's important, what do I want to be notified for. I don't spend much time on, on social media. My my assistant actually posts on Instagram that goes to my Facebook and then she posts on Facebook. I just, especially since April, March, April of 2020, <clears throat> I feel like all social media has become a dumping ground for negativity. You know, I stopped watching the news in April of 2020. So I, I have not watched a single minute of the news. If there's anything major going on, someone's going to tell me, right? Like <laughs> I get alerts for tornadoes. Like I'm not really worried about the rest of it. And then I might go through, like I have people starred to see what my husband posted of his latest art or my son, you know, things like that. Other than that, oh God, election times. Oh, I don't even get on any social media during election times. I'm not active on Twitter at all because again, it's just so much negativity. I love the thought of a group where you can go or a page or format platform where you can go and just find those little sections that you want to be in. You know, like you said, the jobs or, you know, celebrations, that is brilliant. I haven't actually had a chance to go through your page yet. I feel, I feel like a terrible podcast friend now. <laughs> well, it, it's not hard. You just go to www.authormedia.social. So instead of going to .com, which is the main website, it's .social at the end. And, uh, and I'll make yeah. sure I put both in the show notes so they can go to your website because I was was going through your website today and then they can go check out the social site as well. Yep. And and we'd yeah. love to have you as a part of our community. I'd love it. It's again, you know, this is a very solitary. I see my husband, the teenager I care for and the person that picks him up. That's pretty much all I see 24 seven human wise. I have very little interaction with anybody. So it's kind of nice to find a group <laughs> of like-minded. I even wanted to do a local author group, but I'm like, how am I going to get there? I can't, I can't drive myself there, you know? So I don't want the meeting at my house because then they're in my house. <laughs> <laughs> they're in my space. Oh God, I miss my space. Uh, anything else you want everybody to know about before we end this? Nope. That's it. The, the main thing is uh, you need to not value uh, the opinions of strangers over your own opinion. And, and I guess if I could leave you with anything, it's one of the things that helps is if you love yourself and, and you're comfortable with who you are and you have people around you who love you. If you have that, then it doesn't really matter what trolls and haters and strange people on the internet have to say. 
because maybe they're not even real, right? Some, we didn't talk about this on the podcast, but there are super trolls out there who will have a bunch of what are called sock puppet accounts, which are just bots that echo what they're saying. So those 50 people who are all attacking you on Twitter might be 41 person and 49 sock puppet accounts yep. creating a tornado tornado and a tea, uh, teacup, as they say in the UK. And, and, but it doesn't matter, right? Because if you love yourself and you're surrounded by people who love you, those 50 people, even if they are real, who cares about them, <laughs> right? You mm-hmm. don't have to let them determine how you feel about yourself. And if, if you're standing on solid ground and you're willing to stand there and, and not run away, then you can stand there. Right? Bullies yeah. will run away eventually when you resist them. So you just have to straighten up, straighten your back, stand firm, and they'll they'll go away. They'll go bother somebody else. Who's the, the Vikings are looking for? You know, towns without walls <laughs> where the where the pickings are easy, and they'll they'll go somewhere else eventually. So funny you keep using the Viking analogy because I'm like obsessed with Vikings, <laughs> and that's not even my heritage. And I'm obsessed with Vikings. That stupid show that made me cheer for Vikings that were like invading all these towns in England. It's the power of POV, baby. It's the power of POV. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate having you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Any chance we can get you back when your class opens back up? Sure. Awesome. Until next week, guys. I'll see ya. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode of Road to an Abundant Author Life, feel free to leave a review on whatever outlet you listen from. Click the subscribe button. And if you have any questions, email me at AbundantAuthorLife at Yahoo.com.